Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back Wednesday edition from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. Crew is all here. Primary complaint in 45 minutes. Looking forward to that. Larry Fedora, former head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels, head coach at Southern Miss. He's now the head coach of the New Orleans Breakers in the USFL. Uh, coach Fedora joins us in 20 minutes here on 360. A bit later, coming up in hour number two, Dan Dockage of Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Uh, Dan Dockage with us today around 3.20 Central Time. Uh, plus news notes, headlines, uh, as well as equal pay for uh, soccer players, men and women. We'll get into that and much more. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Ready for a big show today. I tuned in last night to some NBA action, and I remember Hutton's column about the disappointment in NBA blowout so far. <laughs> tune in at 7 o'clock for the NBA draft lottery. Then I tune in for Heat Celtics game one right after that. And I'm left feeling like even an uneventful and boring NBA draft lottery show was better than game one of Celtics heat was not overly impressed. They out Miami won the third quarter, 39 to 14. That was the game. I'm amazed by this. I don't know if you guys saw this. I don't know if they made a big deal out of it in the broadcast. I read it in some of the reviews. Butler had 41 and nine, five assists, four steals, three blocks, a very strong line, but not an otherworldly line. He's the right? first player to have the, 30-plus points and more than, like, three or four steals in a game. First player Double. with that line in a playoff game ever. Only five players have done it ever outside of the playoffs. Anthony Davis, Olajuwon, David Robinson, Kareem, and Harden did it twice. That's amazing to me because, I, I mean, the 41 throws it high, obviously, but that's not an otherworldly line. It's just dominant was in all these categories. You know? Yeah, I guess doing it all at the same time is, is very Four good. other Heat players were in double figures last night. I mean, they, they are a streaky very shooting team. Yes, and then they, they get after it. Boston had 29 from Jason Tatum. Uh, Jalen Brown had 24. Uh, but, you know, they had Marcus Smart is hurt with a foot injury. They've got some issues there, but... Miami just throttled them in the second half. Yeah, third quarter, you mentioned the the difference there was uh, that huge third quarter for the Heat. I, I watched the start of the game, and Celtics come down, get the tip. Grant Williams continues from game seven, hits a three to start the game. They're up nine to nothing, I think, to start the game. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, this, this could be really good. If they go down and win game one, it, it makes it a long series, I think, if that happens. But the Heat saw to it that was not going to happen with a dominant third quarter. I like the way they set up their arena with the white towels or T-shirts or whatever they wear. They're known for that, but I think it just fits the Miami vibe. The, the, you know the what crowd, I like about that game last night? TV. You know what I love about that game last night? I'm not, not just like love. The fact the home team wore white uniforms also to go with the God, white. Can we get back that I hate the NBA. Now they've gone to the home Opposite. team wears the color and the away team wears the white jersey. 
I don't know why that's something you felt like needed fixing. It's been a while, and we still haven't gotten used to it. And I think we, you and I hate it. I don't know where you are on that, but standard fare, home white. Yeah, I just don't. There's something about it that bothers me. Well, like I'm just, it. I'm just against teams being stupid and having a whiteout whenever you're having, um, you right. know, the, the, the you're wearing black. Yeah, well, no, not wearing black. Black. The the uh, example here locally is, you know, Vanderbilt has a whiteout whenever Tennessee's the road team, yeah. and you have orange and white as their common colors, and the orange stands out looks during like the whiteout. Game. It looks like a home game, which is ridiculous. They haven't done that in a couple of years, but. Um, well, they haven't had enough fans at games. To well, do that's that fair. Also. Yeah, so that's, that's fair. That's been part of the problem. Um, yeah, I, I don't like that. I, I don't think Miami uh, does that for every home game. I think they mix and match, and they will wear the color with the whiteout at home also. Um, but I just, it's a trend that I'm not a, a fan of. I like Paul. You talk about baseball. You like the difference of baseball to the other sports. I like the fact that football is a sport where you wear your color at home and you wear white on the road. I don't know why the NBA felt like, hey, let's do what football does. Let's, let's put the colored uniform at home and white on the road after years and years of the home team wears white. I don't get it. I just had this conversation with Simon about baseball last night as he looked in on the Yankees Orioles and he said, where are they? I said, Yankees will wear gray on the road with the city name. Everybody wears the city name when they're on the road. Yankees wear pinstripes at home. It says the, the N1. You're wearing your... Brave say Atlanta yeah, and cursive yeah. on the road. On the, the road is the yeah. city name. And he's like, oh, that makes sense. So now he, he knows how to identify that that was Camden Yards as opposed to the Yankee Stadium. A lot of other clues there, too. Like the 399-foot <laughs> double that Judge hit yesterday. Uh, I'm a, also guessing. a clue he's not in Yankee Stadium. I don't know what happened, but I'm guessing also an Orioles loss. Uh, yeah, it was 5-4. Chapman, Chapman is trouble. Well, that's the Yankees another way have an outstanding the staff. And the, their worst pitcher is Chapman, the highest-played closer in the game, I'm guessing, who just does not have it. I, I'd be fine with him not being the closer anymore. But he, the Yankees you know, are doing the job against the He Orioles looks right the now. part of a closer. He, he just doesn't pitch the part. No. <laughs> you know, he's got the intimidating look, but – There's always one pitch that's off. It's just, yeah. And then that, that gets uh, the spiral out of control for him in the inning. Yeah, so he came in 5-3 – Let's it get the five four and what was it second and third yeah. when he got the last out? It made him sweat. It's ridiculous. Yeah, judge judge is not happy with the three hundred ninety nine foot double. He's four for four last night. I mean, he's crushing Off the, wall. the ball. Yeah, he's yes, he, he's he's a lot of fun to begin the season. He's going to make a he's ton mashing. of money because his contract is up. Uh, Orlando Magic or or I guess the the betting odds are they're getting Chet Holmgren with the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft this summer, uh, the freshman who declared for the draft from Gonzaga. Um, the Oklahoma City Thunder have the second pick. Really, the team, Chad, that, that was most excited last night was Sacramento because they were not supposed to be in the top five based on their odds of drawing out the, the names. They end up with the fourth overall pick based on the odds going in for lottery. Let me go ahead and call it also. Uh, I immediately the analysis was last night that Jabari Smith would be the pick for the Magic. I saw ESPN, yeah, I saw ESPN had a ESPN quick thing where they, they poll people around the league with different teams. And once it was the Magic with the first pick, someone said, I, I hear the Magic would prefer Jabari Smith. So then they put Jabari Smith at Oklahoma one, Holmgren at two. Um, I think Holmgren's going to be a bust. 
I, I really I'm just do. Scared of him. You look at him. You got to be scared of him. I think he is just a huge injury his waiting frame. to happen. He's also going to get and pushed around. He can that, shoot from three, but so what? If we're going to get slobbered. Well, here's the problem. His only he can't guard anyone. I can't think of a single position he could guard in the NBA, uh, unless he's just going to hang back, get pushed underneath the basket, and block everything. Which he can block a lot of shots. He's a really good shot blocker at his size. But that's going to have to be can't his game. move with the three. He's got to get on one of these teams like Dallas that have a bunch of seven-footers around the three-point line that just spread everyone out. He could be very effective offensively on that team because he's a great outside shooter and he's huge. But I don't know who he's going to – you got to play man in the NBA. He's going to have to guard someone. I don't know who he guards at the next level. I, know that. I think it's an injury waiting to happen. If, if Greg Oden had that foot condition the moment he got there and people kind of saw that coming – at some point, obviously Portland didn't, where they drafted him, I think, number one overall. Yep. Uh, I fear the same for Chet Holmgren when I watch his game and just watch his frame more than anything else. It doesn't look, it doesn't, it's not a frame that lends itself to putting on a lot of good weight. I'm afraid of him too, but I think there are plenty of people in the league that don't play defense. So, I mean, if he can go down and shoot threes and create a mismatch of his own on the offensive end, I think there are plenty of teams that'll take that trade off. But I just see him getting pushed around like crazy on both ends of the floor because he just uh, – how much muscle can he put on? He just – that's his frame. I mean, I he like. didn't put on an ounce that I saw at Gonzaga. Yeah. That is a year in a college weight training program. And I'm, I'm doubting they just said, hey, let's not lift weights. If that's not what you did in high school, we won't do any of that. I mean, I, I don't see any difference in him from high school to a year at Gonzaga. And we've seen guys – transform their bodies so, in a year in a college program. I get what he did none of that. I get what you're saying about Dallas. I think another team is going to have to create a Dallas-like role for him Orlando. in their offense. Orlando will be doing that. Yeah, and it would pair him with another former Gonzaga star that was one and done in Jalen Suggs in Orlando if they draft him. They, so he's, Guard, big guy combo. Is he, he's legitimately seven feet, but he, I mean, he's, he's exactly seven feet, right? I think he's listed seven feet on the, on I mean, the dot. The, the, those that are going to make the case for him will point to Porzingis, who's 7'3", um, and look at his style of play and say, that you, you have a, a size factor that you can't coach, an athletic factor of the ability to shoot the three, which you, I mean, you don't find at that, that type of uh, height and weight. So I, to me, the, the traits are there. To where we'll see the investment. Look, I my favorite player is Ivy from Purdue, but he's you know just a small guard, so he's not going to get the same run. He'll be a top five pick, but he's not like number one overall worthy, despite being what I consider to be the best player in college basketball last year. And see, I love Ben Caro the best of, of those top three or four guys uh, in upside also because he can, I think he's like 34 percent from the outside, but he took a lot of threes. He's a guy who can't shoot it; it's only going to get better from the outside. Um, so I, I prefer him, but by the way, Chet Holmgren is seven foot, 190 pounds, 190 pounds, Chris, that Porzingis, that's what I was going 50 to look pounds heavier. Yeah. That's a big difference. I mean, that is enormous. 190 pounds at seven feet tall. You give me him at 50 that. pounds heavier. I'd be excited about him. Well, my buddy said, you know, he's going to be another Sean Bradley. I'm thinking, well, their games are very different. Sean Bradley was not a guard. He didn't have guard skills. He was seven, six. Also, but now now I'm interested in seeing what Sean Bradley weighed at seven foot six. Sean Bradley weighed two hundred and seventy five pounds, so eighty five pounds more 
than, uh, than Chet Holmgren currently weighs. It's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, the guy is very skilled, but I'm with you, Chad. I'm, I worry. And, uh, you know, the NFL crushes it with their schedule release. The NBA fails miserably with their draft lottery. Which a, could be a big event. It, once upon a time, it was a big well, event. It's a bore because they just have the owners or like the kids of these owners come out and, you know, no one knows who these dudes are. Yeah, the fact of the they matter know, is, oh, it we was have the a president big deal. of operations from the accounting firm that represents the Orlando Magic here with us tonight. No one cares. Like, you, you need to have celebrities with those, with those franchises announcing those picks. Well, and also, it's they also not have, as big a deal because there's no huge prize. When Patrick Ewing was the prize, that was a. I mean, everybody needed to see where he was going. Do you feel the same way about Chet Holmgren? No, well, I mean, so I mean, I'll, I'll see your Chet Holmgren and raise you Tavon Walker. I mean, we what did we see from him in college? No, Nothing. but this was a down year for the NFL. Yeah, Usually but you can still sell it. Like you're exciting. selling uh, a franchise. You're yeah, selling the bottom of your league the same way you're selling the top of your league currently in the playoffs. No, it could be a lot better, but I think it's somewhat limited by the fact that we're not seeing guys mm-hmm. at the top. We're seeing G League guys who we've not seen play. How many of those, Chad, were in the in the top? Yeah. There's six of them, say, in the in the first round at the at the ESPN thing I read. I don't know any of those names. Well, what's crazy is I actually thought the the list of representatives last night was better than normal. <laughs> Uh, and I, you know, I'm looking through it. It's still Richard Hamilton. We all know Who's him. Who's the actress for the Pistons? That's usually there. Sarah oh, Jessica Parker. No, <laughs> Sarah Jessica Who Parker. Is it? No, she's it's from Square Peg. She's oh, also it's the chick from uh, Twister. Yes, yeah. but she's also from Square Pegs, which also had okay. Sarah, well, Jessica Sarah Jessica Parker. So I'm very only one degree her. removed. Yeah, yeah correct. Audience, and, and like 15 things that people have seen removed. Our audience would know Sarah Jessica Parker. Yes, no one knows who this woman is. Jamie Gertz. Yes, and she's the wife of the owner of Square the Hawks. Square Pegs was a good show. That's why she's there. She's, the, the, she's part of the ownership group of the Hawks because she's married to the owner. You had the general manager of the Rockets. Tell me if you're getting excited about these, no. okay? No. Raphael Stone, Paul. Who's that? Jeff Weltman, who's the president of basketball operations for the Magic. Uh, Richard Hamilton, which I think last night the Magic actually, they must have done a last-minute switch after this article because their head coach was there. Last night. These guys used to at least be like former. These guys used to be Hall of Fame players who were in this role for their team. So Richard Hamilton with a Pistons legend. How about Thunder legend Nick Collison? (laughs) (laughs) Because when I think NBA legends, I think Nick Collison, who did. I was shocked. Had like a 14-year career. They said he is the longest tenured Thunder uh, in the course of their, their short history. Kelly... Krauskopf, assistant GM. You're building, you're building up to the good one. First ever female assistant GM in NBA history, Kelly Krauskopf. Kelly Kapowski, Tiffany Amber Thiessen yeah, would have been She would have been a range. Yeah, for the, that's what I'm talking about. For yeah. Indiana. Damian Lillard was there for, the, for Portland. Okay. Well, at least the current. DeMontis Sabonis for the Kings, another player. Swin Cash Canal. I didn't know Swin Cash got, got married. married. That name, yeah. yeah. Or she just added Vice a cool president. Name. Not, not just we go. president of basketball. She is the vice president of basketball operations for the New Orleans yeah. Pelicans. The president was busy. <laughs> now, David Robinson's a big name. Yes. Right? He was there for the Spurs. That's great. The head coach, Wes Unsell Jr., for the Wizards was there. William Wesley, the executive vice president of the Knicks. Who cares? Um, P.J. Washington looked miserable for the Hornets. Like, I don't know what his getup was and the look on his face. Anderson Varejao, big V for uh, the Cavs, was their team ambassador. What I don't understand is if you, 
if you're going to do this, get someone out there that you can talk to over the course of it. Yes. Like, why Check even put uh, Damian Lillard was on as, for an interview, but why put someone like that on there to just stand and not even have the ability to speak? Well, they look like they're, they're just showing their face. When okay. they're sitting down, they look like they're, a, they're serving on a grand jury. Yeah. You know, I mean, like it's, it's, it is a, it's a comedy sketch. It's when a you swing see their and a faces. miss. And they do this, they run this back every year. Or I feel like some of these guys have, like, you know, is it in, like, as brand ambassador? Uh, of the organization is it in their contract they have to represent the team here and uh, be emotionless yeah Upon, I mean, if you're the brand ambassador you gotta be yeah well I super mean, excited they, they look like the definition of i'm just here so i don't get fined that's what they look like when they sit that's there. not i think nick collison ambassador. probably with his 401k he signed with the thunder he has to appear in chicago every year at the <laughs> nba draft lottery or any year they're eligible for the draft lottery that's part of his duty now moving forward i'm glad i didn't see this it was uh it was, you know, some of these. It's the uh, weird. It's the awkward reaction of representing the Charlotte Hornets star player PJ Washington. I mean, he doesn't acknowledge the camera. He is just staring straight at the camera, looking miserable the entire time. Oh, Maybe Paul, they had a big I, bat like on who could keep the straightest face. You know, I, I'm not watching this either. I watched the replay on YouTube where it just rattles off as quickly as possible. But they draw this thing out. Um, you know, it's just a. It should be a made-for-TV event, and instead, it's like watching PBS for lottery numbers. It's just, a, it's just a bore. It's as boring as you can make it for that. And it's the star power. The NBA All-Star Game is about star power <laughs> and who you can bring out, who's courtside. They should make this that because they they're, they're the leading into like their, best their conference in their final game one. Yeah, they, they, they've got to do something They should all send different. the best player in their history. We'll just scrap it. Or and they, Jamie Gertz. The dude they had interviewing him was awful. Was Jamie Gertz I've never seen this guy Atlanta's before. He's like a draft him. expert for them. But it was very, very odd. And it's also so forced and uncomfortable when you have Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, yep. Paolo Bancaro standing there, and they're interviewing <laughs> them. And, hey, guys, we got a surprise for you. <laughs> NBA legend David Robinson is here with some words of wisdom for you. And they go to David Robinson, you know, former number Good one luck. overall pick. And, I mean, he's a great dude. He's like, guys, uh, this is a big moment for you. You know, going to the NBA, it's going to be tough early on. But you really, it's just so forced and awkward with someone like David Robinson, who I love, but there to give them advice. It's Patrick like having Andrew the, Luck there at the NFL yeah. draft. Hey, it made Patrick me on the YouTube uh, tweet, uh, uh, feed says, quote, that chick from Twister, and I'm thinking, man, Helen Hunt was at the NBA <laughs> draft lottery. Hey, this exactly. sounds like it would have made me pine for that the Make-A-Wish kid. Yeah, that's true. Paul's, Paul's Make-A-Wish kid rant was great. Um, I would love, yes. You could, you could you bring could that. You could have 14 in Make-A-Wish kids up there. It would be better than that last yeah, night. Yeah, Paul, you could pair them with a celebrity, and that could be the wish. The wish granted with the celeb and the team. The, the, the celebs better. don't even have to be connected to the team. You just have 14 people that are representing the team. But, I mean, P.J. Washington looks like he lost a bet up there. Most of those guys <laughs> up probably there. probably did. Sabonis I mean, looks like he there, lost a bet. In this era of the NBA draft lottery, if you are present, you lost a bet. Or you're just so bad that you're trying to sell it to your franchise that you care. Jacob says the Here's last memorable joy. NBA lottery moment was the one where the Bucks owner sent his hot daughter to represent <laughs> the team. I do remember that one. Remember too. the nerd kid from Cleveland that would go every year? Yeah, that was uh, oh gosh, uh, not Staples, Dan but the Gilbert's Dan, Dan Gilbert's, Gilbert's son. son. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think. What did he start? Is he too old? Maybe now, one or? of the insurance companies that's up there. And um, save Detroit because they yeah. sent. They sent someone else this year. It was Progressive Stadium, right? Or Progressive Ar Arena? Whatever it was. He's got a lot of money. I know that. And he, so he sent a son. What if it's just the children or grandchildren of the owners? All of these people before you are going to inherit these teams someday. Woo! 
I mean, I just want someone that's going to react to whatever. Like when they're like, uh, picking 14th will be the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I want Collison to like throw something at that point and yeah. pissed off <laughs> that they're the last place team to do it. Like let's bring some Smash pro wrestling to it. Something different. Or just, you know, um, it, as they announce it, be like, have them mic'd up, you yeah. know? What if Collison just takes his mic off and gets up and leaves the moment he's, oh, 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 oh 14th, okay. Throws it and walks out. Larry Fedora about to join us, head coach of the New Orleans Breakers. Uh, he's throughout his past offensive coordinator in college football, head coach as well. Uh, known for the no huddle when the no huddle wasn't cool. We'll chat with the Breakers head coach next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us and pleased to be joined by the head coach of the New Orleans Breakers. I should also call him the general manager of the team as well. Larry Fedora is with us. Coach, it's great to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing well. You know, uh, I've recouped from this past weekend, and we're, we're pushing on to the next game. Yeah, so you got the Sunday morning game this week, uh, taking on Pittsburgh, 11 a.m. Central on FS1, a part of the four-pack that's played every weekend in Birmingham. Uh, I, I'm curious, do you have a, a similar slogan as you did at, at, at Middle at MTSU, Pillage the Village? I know it was a, a big slogan at the time when you were calling plays. Do you have something similar for the Breakers? Uh, you know, for us, it's it's playing uh, smart, fast, and physical. That's 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 what we use right now. How are things going? And you're number one of this league, and for you, when when you decided to join up and be the head coach in this league, yeah, I think things are going well. You know, I mean, for a startup league, uh, there's been all kind of uh, things that have come up that you don't think about, and and I think one thing that's happened is that. Uh, you know, all eight coaches have done a good job. Uh, you know, Daryl Johnson's done a great job of, of just, you know, overcoming whatever obstacles that have come up and, and finding a way to make it work. And, uh, you know, I think right now we're putting a pretty good product on the field, with, uh, you know, with all eight teams. I think it's been a, a lot of fun to watch, you know, from my aspect, just as a coach, to watch the other teams and what they do and how they do it. And uh, I think it's I think the league looks really good right now. Coach, I remember talking to you and, and other coaches the night before your first game when we were down in Birmingham for that first weekend, and there was just so much uncertainty. You know, I would ask you, hey, well, what do you expect? And you, you really were expecting the unexpected because you hadn't seen your team in a competitive format yet. Um, do you feel now like there's a little bit more of a routine to the season as you guys have got going where you know the expectation, your team knows the expectation? I guess what I'm asking is, does it just feel like a normal football season now that you've been rolling with it for a few weeks? Yeah, it, it, it really does. It, it uh, you know, now that we've, you know, your, your practice, I mean, your practice facilities, your meeting rooms, uh, the times you're going to meet, the times you're going to lift, uh, all those things are starting to get fairly consistent. So now the players are able to get into a routine, which is always good because they can become more comfortable. They know what's coming next and uh, they can prepare themselves much better that way. So, yeah, I, I think we're just into the normal flow of a, of, of a season now. And, and I think everybody feels more comfortable with that. I know you had that great game-winning drive against Houston recently. Um, and I want to ask you about uh, play calls. Um, because I see a lot of NFL and college stuff that seems like it's a lot more complicated than maybe it needs to be. I think you guys are on the other end of this, and I'm kind of fascinated by it. Um, your quarterback came and looked for the first play call. Trips right, 62 Viper. S simple as can be. How much is that a key to kind of what you guys in the league are doing um, and how much information can guys get out of trips right, 62 Viper? Yeah, so, you, you know, first of all, you, you're giving them a formation. You're telling them trips right, so they all know what the formation is. Your 62 is your protection, and then you're giving them the route. I mean, and that's it. And so we try to, as a staff, we try to keep cutting back on the the uh, words involved in the play call. You still want to give them enough information so they all know what to do. But at the same time, you don't want to give them a mouthful, you know. So we're trying to always simplify. And, and my background uh, of being a no huddle and basically a signal team, 
you know, you were constantly trying to cut everything back so you could have one or two signals at the most and still get all the information to the team that you need. You've been on staffs where it's way more intricate and a lot, lot more words than that. Oh yeah, no doubt. I, I, I mean, before I became a coordinator uh, in other staffs, it was very, very wordy. And you're basically trying to tell everybody what to do, you know? And uh, so, you know, and, and, in this league, there's probably some of that that are, you know, when you get in a huddle and you can, you have the time and you can tell every player on the, on the field what to do. And you know what, that, that works in some uh, instances, especially if you've got a new player that you just brought in that week, you know, and, and he's got to be able to play. He's not going to learn your whole offense, but he gets in a huddle and you tell him what he's running. You tell him where to line up and tell him what to run and, and he can go from there and just be a player. Larry Fedora, our guest, he's the head coach of the New Orleans Breakers on uh, Outkick 360. They they play uh, against Pittsburgh this Sunday morning, 11 a.m. kickoff on FS1. Coach, uh, in, in regards to, you mentioned the hurry-up offense, not the hurry-up, the no-huddle offense. At the time, whenever you were becoming an offensive coordinator and running this style, uh, did you have to convince some of these old-school head coaches that you knew what the you know you knew what you were doing it was going to work and the defensive coordinators were not going to be ready for this yeah I mean that go that takes me all the way back to middle Tennessee State is when I started running this style of offense and you know it, it was just nobody was doing it back then you know there's just I know it's common now especially in college football but it's it wasn't back then and so I mean I can tell you literally I had film of games where the Defense was in a huddle, and the Mike linebacker's got his back turned to the ball, and he's calling the play in the huddle to the defense, and the offense was snapping the ball and running the play. <laughs> I mean, it was totally different. And, and you know, you you're, the rules weren't set up uh, to help the defense that way. I mean, and so you could go as fast as you wanted. You could run players on and run players off, and, and the defense couldn't match up personnel-wise. And so, you know, a lot of that was, at the time – it was uh, – you look back on it and you're like, wow, that, that's really unfair for the defense. Now the rules have changed over time and evolved, but uh, that made it really hard on defenses back there. But for us, you know, we were a uh, – when I started, we were a, a 1AA team that was moving 1A, and so we were going to have 1AA talent basically, and we were going to play all uh, 1A teams, and so we needed an equalizer, and that was our equalizer, going no huddle and moving the tempo within the game. And so – I've always used it that way. And, you know, it's hard for me to huddle. It, it's just hard. Uh, you know, we we don't really even teach a huddle. So when we have to, we usually make mistakes huddling. How so, much? Uh, I, you're getting five more guys and two more guys active on game day now. How much does... <laughs> coach is going to be thrilled. He's holding his arms over his head for those just listening. How much does that uh, change things and kind of make uh, give, give you some breathing room? Yeah, well, first of all, it, you know, just having five more allows you to, you know, to to breathe during practice, you know, so your your guys aren't just running every single rep and they're not showing every single rep on the look squad. So you're you're going to at least be able to roll some guys out in those situations, and so that's going to be very helpful. Having two more uh, active, you know, I'm I'm thankful for that. I mean, just being able to go to forty instead of thirty eight, and and be, uh, so you can maybe take a guy off of instead of him uh, being a starter at receiver and playing on all four special teams. Now, maybe he only has to play on two. And so he's able to catch a break there or he's a DB that may only have to play on two. You know, so that's 
that will help a lot. It really will. And, you know, these guys, uh, you know, one part about it is I, I'm all about the players, and these guys work hard all week. And, it, you know, it's 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 heartbreaking to have to say, you know, go to a guy, you know, I had to go to seven guys and say, I'm sorry, you're not going to be active this week. You've been, you know, you've been busting your butt all week in practice. You've been doing a great job, and uh, you're just not going to be in for whatever reason. You know, and that's always hard, you know. I mean, because uh, these these guys give it their all, and, and I'm just – Hey, I'm thankful to get two more. I really am. Coach, I'm really curious about your perspective on this as a longtime college football coach. Mark Emmert steps down as president of the NCAA. Um, as someone who's lived it, has been around the NCAA, has you know lived by their rules as a college coach, what should be next, not for all of the NCAA, but for college football in terms of governance, in terms of who should be at the forefront of leadership governing the sport, from a college football only perspective, what should be next? Yeah, so I, I think it was about seven, eight, maybe eight or nine years ago. I, I, I thought and I said that you know the Power Five schools need to move away from the NCAA. Uh, I didn't see any value that the NCAA was bringing to the Power Five, and the Power Five should appoint a commissioner, one commissioner for all the Power Five leagues, and that. That commissioner then goes, he oversees and does everything in the best interest of those 64 teams. Uh, he negotiates the contract with TV, you know, for those 64 teams. Let the NCAA govern all the other sports and govern, govern the, the, you know, the uh, group of five, if, if that needs to be. Uh, because I think there's a, a huge difference. And every year, you know, the, the, uh, it just gets farther and farther apart of the haves and the have-nots. You know, and believe me, I was in a non-Power 5 school when I first started at Southern Miss. And, you know, it's difficult to uh, make it on what they're having to make it on right now. And I think there would be some benefit in splitting the two. Now, there's not a lot, but but you've had uh, a few guys. Matt Luke is one that comes to mind at, at Georgia. Guys that have stepped away from the game because they just don't like where it is right now. They don't like NIL. They don't like the transfer portal. It's just a, a mental suck from them where they don't like it. Uh, when you look at the sport of college football right now, outside of the money, and the money's very good for these college coaches, is there a reason to pick major college football over another level of football from a pure coaching perspective? Or is it just the money that makes all the headaches worthwhile? Well, I got in the game originally because of the difference that you can make in a young man's life. That's why I got into it. I loved football, but, you know, Coaches throughout my lives had a huge impact on me, and I wanted to have that same impact on young men. I still believe at the college level you can have that impact. I really do. Uh, beyond that, it's hard to. It really is because they're grown men. They have families. They're you know, it's just they're you're not going to have the same type of influence or impact on their lives. Uh, but all the other mess in college football, it's in my opinion, it's ruining college football. You know, it's not the game that we all uh, grew up with and loved, uh, you know, and the people, society wants it to change. So that's why it's changing. You know, if that's a good thing, maybe so. I don't know. I, I don't look at it that way. I, I think college football was probably the, the, you know, arguably the second most popular sport in the United States, you know, maybe to pro football. And, you know, it was, uh, they were doing a pretty good job of, 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 of running things the way they were running them. And, and now it's, uh, it's totally upside down. I, I, I don't think you will find a college coach out there 
that will uh, can honestly tell you that he's really happy about the way things are right now. And I think it is driving some really good football coaches out of the profession, or at least out of college football. Larry Fedora, our guest, head coach in the USFL. Of the of the head coaches you've worked with, Coach, who do you keep in touch with the most among like Ron Zook, Mike Gundy, uh, most recently Tom Herman? Um, who do you consider the best of the of the friend base of that of that clique? You know, I, I my first one was uh, was you know as a, as a position coach was Chuck Reedy, and uh, way back and and you know I'm very fortunate because I. I worked under uh, Grant Taft. I worked under Fisher DeBerry. I worked under Chuck Reedy. I worked under Andy McCollum. I worked under Ron Zook. I run, worked under Mike Gundy. And I consider all of them great friends. I really do. You know, I'm in season right now, so I don't have time to pick up a phone and call <laughs> anybody. You know, but uh, but actually, Tom Herman and I texted just the other day, you know, and and uh, about some players and, and uh, you know, just checking in when I was going to get back down there so we could get around the golf in, you know? So, you know, I think uh, this profession, you know, the way I look at it, it's kind of a small fraternity. And, and even if you haven't worked for people, you know, you still have a lot of respect for them and, and you love it. Oh, we had to talk ball or just talk, you know, just have a good time. And so anytime I can get around a football coach, I'm pretty happy. I, I'm with you, man. Hey, uh, uh, final thing for you. It, the, the analyst role, is there just as much stress that comes with that position as there does coaching a position in college football? You served as an analyst at Texas for a year. Yeah, no, I, I can tell you, I, I love doing that for Tom. I mean, because it was there was no stress involved. Okay. I mean, you know, I mean, it really wasn't. You, 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 you still worked the same amount of hours. You still did everything the same, but there, there was no stress involved in it. And uh, I thought it was a pretty good deal. And I think there's a lot of coaches that are using it and taking advantage of it. And I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. I really do. But I, I'm going to tell you, you know, the other fortunate thing I feel about is coming to this league. I mean, you got, you got guys like Kirby Wilson and, and Jeff Fisher and, and uh, Todd Haley and Mike Riley and Skip Holtz. And I mean, you know, Kevin Sumlin, I mean, he, some of these guys I didn't know before and getting to be around them and, and getting them watch them coach and learn from them. I mean, that that's been a huge thing. Hey, we knew uh, right out of the gate the college coaches that had familiarity with the quarterbacks were going to have success early in this league, and that was certainly the case with you and Kyle. Uh, you mentioned some of the, the pro coaches that you didn't know. I think those teams are starting to pick up some steam now as they, they get to learn their personnel a bit, a, a bit better. Yeah, not, not only that. I mean, take, take, for example, Skip Holtz. I mean, Skip's, uh, his quarterback is the one that started for him for three years at yeah. La Tech. So the young man knows his offense inside out and backwards. He knows exactly what Skip expects. So that's a huge advantage. I mean, that, that really is. I mean, that, that's, in my opinion, why they're the number one team in the league right now is because the kid knows exactly, and I keep saying kid, I, I, the man, uh, he knows exactly what Skip expects, and they can talk to each other in a different language, you know, because they worked together for three years. So I think all the other teams, including us, the quarterbacks have had to learn and grow as they've gone, you know, because, because Kyle was never in my offense or in Noel Mazzoni's offense. So it, it was something that he's had to grow with also. And I think that's something you've seen across the league. And I think you're seeing the quarterbacks get better and better each week. Well, and, and you, you, your offense, Mazzoni's offense, they, certainly an exciting style to watch. I would highly recommend if you haven't tuned in to watch the New Orleans Breakers, do so. 
Coach, we'll be down there in a couple of weeks. We'll catch up with you then. And then uh, it's on to Ohio, on to Canton for the playoffs. So uh, we look forward to seeing you. Well, I, I hope I'm in Canton. That's that's where I hope <laughs> I see you guys. So, All right. Uh, but, hey, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be on with you guys and uh, would love to do it anytime. All Thanks right, very much. We, we love talking it. ball with you. Appreciate it. Larry Fedora right, has been our guest, uh, solid dude there, yeah, and um, hey, solid games this weekend. It's week six, so they're officially past the halfway point as soon as they kick off this weekend. Uh, doubleheader on Saturday on NBC. Uh, the Philadelphia Stars take on the Tampa Bay Bandits. That's at noon central, 1 o'clock Eastern. And then at 7.30 Eastern on NBC, Birmingham against Michigan. Undefeated course, Birmingham. You Birmingham at 5-0, and taking on Jeff Fisher's Michigan Panthers. That's in primetime on NBC this Saturday. Sunday doubleheader, uh, 11 a.m. It's Pittsburgh and New Orleans with Coach Fedora there. Uh, Kyle Sloter, his quarterback. And followed by on Fox, 3 o'clock Central, New Jersey takes on Houston. And, uh, Chad, we'll be down there uh, middle of next month, I think, right? I'll kick the tailgate. We'll be back. I believe June 11th is the date that we will be down there live in Birmingham getting people ready for a weekend of games. Hang with us. A lot more coming right here on the Outkick Network and Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
Our thanks to Coach Larry Fedora for joining the show. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Dylan Taylor making the show happen for us on the radio end. Um, every Wednesday at this time, it is time for primary complaint. Guys, I'll kick things off. Primary complaint, simple this week. Nick Saban, whenever he speaks, I listen. I, I think he... he it can be entertaining at the same time. I think he informs uh, the college football fan base whenever he sits down and does these one-on-one interviews. Uh, when he speaks, I listen because I'm informed. However, whenever he's on with Paul Feinbaum earlier this week and says, one of the things I'd like to see us be able to work back to is everything in college football has always had parity. Coach Saban, the only parity I know of year in and year out is with your first and second string of your roster. That's my primary complaint. It, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. I, I agree. You may even see a column about that at outkick.com coming up. So my primary complaint this week, it was inspired last week when I was out on Monday dropping Angie off at the airport very early in the morning. Didn't realize that dropping someone off the airport at 4 a.m., it was going to be a complete traffic jam at the airport. That's how packed the Nashville airport is now. What really bothered me, though, was not necessarily the congestion, but what was causing the congestion. And what was causing the congestion at the drop-off was the fact that people were waiting to say their goodbyes outside of the car. So when people are trying to get through to drop-off, they park their car, they get out, they get luggage out for the person, and they give a long, tearful goodbye as they are standing outside the car holding everyone else up that's trying to drop their loved ones off at the airport. Here is my advice to everyone. Say your goodbyes in the car. Say it on the drive up. Make it quick. You get out. You get your stuff. You get on your way so you can get out of the way for everyone else. People who give their goodbyes on the outside of the vehicle, you are my primary complaint. Chad wants you to GTFO of Nashville. Uh, my primary complaint, obviously I've been involved in a lot of kids' baseball lately, so where's the landscape for my complaint to come from? My primary complaint is these coaches of 12-year-olds who think they're big time. I mean, they are managing the Yankees as far as they're concerned, the way they carry themselves. But then little Timmy gets in the batter's box, he digs in, he puts up his hand, you know, first batter of the inning, to look down to third base as per the coach's instructions to get the signal. Now, there's going to be no signal. Let me tell you this. There's going to be no signal for the first pitch of the inning, except maybe if the pitcher's been a little wild and he wants you to take. But the coach, he's not paying any attention to the batter yet because he's still yammering with the parents who he's trying to impress or with the assistant coach or whatever. Now the kid's in a dilemma. Do I go ahead and get in the box and let this game proceed? with the potential to get yelled at by the coach because they didn't stick around and wait for the word to come down from God himself? Or do I sit here and delay the game, waiting, waiting, waiting? Do I say, hey, coach, how about a signal? That would be a little insulting to God over there. So if you're going to run this tip-top program, you're going to need to face the batter and be ready at the start of the inning. That's my primary complaint. Well, these guys are getting paid now, too. I know. Oh, yeah. Most of them are getting paid, I feel yes. like. Most. Yeah, that is ridiculous. You should not be looking over for a signal to start the game. You should know, hey, we're swinging away. <laughs> we're going we're <laughs> to take gonna it if it's a ball. Yeah, you're in the dugout. You yeah. come out. Like, I don't need to look yeah. over. We can, uh, yeah. If take, it's good, take hammer. Take till you get a strike. Let's bunt. Let's get a runner on base to start the game. You kind of know the direction 
if you're the leadoff hitter, or at least you should know the direction, or the coach should tell you the direction. Something I've run into, Paul, is in the coach pitch variety, is now that there's an umpire, before it was just the coaches umpired the game, right, to start the season. We kind of, oh, he's safe out, or she's safe out, whatever. Uh, waiting for the umpire to say it's, it's okay to pitch. Because I'm looking around, ready to go, trying to keep the game going, and I see the girls, they're kind of meandering, but they're all in the field. That's all you can ask for at five and six right. years old. So I'm looking at the umpire. Hey, are we going? Is, am, I, am I good? Are you good? Are you set? We set? It always seems like it takes longer than I want it to yes. for everyone to say, uh-huh. okay, we're good to go. Because I, I check with the coach, good, you know, giving a thumbs up. All right, we're good. Then I'm looking at the umpire, and it takes another two minutes before they settle in back there because they're talking to someone behind it or whatever until it's ready to Simon's go. Simon's got the same complaint as a pitcher. He likes to go fast and waiting for the umpire to give him the... Yeah, it's, right. it's not always, back. but there are times where I just find myself uh, in a staring contest with the umpire from the mound making sure they're ready for me to pitch. And those sliding mitts I've complained about at the major league level, as you could expect, they've trickled down. Some of these of kids course. get to first base, reach into their back pocket, out comes the sliding mitt. A 12-year-old concerned about his fingers and sliding into second base. Get rid of that. That should be illegal at, in the major leagues. Sure as hell should be illegal at 12 years old. There's no reason unless you have an injured finger that you shouldn't be sliding with your hand. It None. also, it, it, it's ridiculous. It's just one other accessory the that kids think look sell. cool yeah. so they can put it in their back pocket and play with it. Um, it also is a sign that you're not being taught well how to slide. Not being, you need to be taught better yes. on how to slide if you're that worried about hurting your finger. Also, slide feet first. Well, you have to dive back to the base. Yeah. No, no I'm all for diving, diving to the base to Yeah, you uh, want to get a, a good muscle. enough lead if you're going to steal a base. We're going to have to dive back. I agree. Back. I agree. But y- your fingers are fine. They're One fine. of the all-time great stories from the golf course that I've heard was from Gary McCord in a book that's going to be released about Phil Mickelson. Amazing story about betting with Phil while Phil is playing rounds of golf on the PGA Tour. That story next on Outkick 360.